Hi, I'm Michael Hartman. I'm Naomi Liu. And I'm Mike Rizzo. And this is OpsCast. A podcast for marketing ops pros. And RevOps pros. Created by the MoPros, the number one community for marketing operations professionals. Tune in to each episode as we chat with real professionals to help elevate you in your marketing operations career. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of OpsCast brought to you by the MoPros. I'm Michael Hartman. I'm joined today, as usual, by my co-hosts, Naomi Liu and Mike Rizzo. Say hello. Hey, everyone. Hey, everybody. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about a, a new topic, one I don't think we've touched on yet, that we've probably all heard about uh, or been exposed to or had to be involved with called customer journey mapping. And we're going to talk a little bit about why that should matter to you as marketing ops pros and how that ultimately translates into the systems that we tend to support. To do that, we're going to talk to Lucas and Islin Monasteri of Thea Marketing, a HubSpot consultancy. Lucas is president of Thea Marketing and is an engineer by training, which I like because I was also. He found his way to marketing after starting an oil and gas engineering firm. His newly found passion for marketing led him, him and Islin to start Thea Marketing. Islin is the VP of sales and marketing for Thea and is, also has a background in engineering. Islin, Lucas, welcome to our show. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you. All right. We're looking forward to learning from you guys. I think this is going to be a great, interesting topic. Okay, so I'm sure that our listeners, being in marketing and marketing ops, have heard the term customer journey mapping before. But if they're like me, I mean, I know I kind of roll my eyes at that sometimes um, because I'm like, I'm just ready to go get stuff done. That said, let's start, like, I know there's probably some important pieces to it, but why don't we start with a working definition of what customer journey mapping is from your perspective, especially since you probably service multiple clients in different industries. Yeah, definitely. So for us, customer journey mapping is the process of understanding how your customers first gain awareness of your brand and understand that you exist and going through all of the different steps and touch points that they need to have to becoming an actual paying client with you. And then beyond that, how do you keep them coming back over and over again? Because the most expensive thing we do in marketing is a customer acquisition. Retention should be kind of a given, and it's one of the cheapest things that we do, but it's often missed. So, how you know, that's an interesting point because I've, you know, having been in, in and around marketing for a while, I think that's I don't know. I haven't heard that in a long time, right? That whole, like, it's a lot cheaper to retain a customer than, than to acquire a customer. So are you, are you suggesting then that there's sort of at least two components to customer journey mapping? There's the, like, let's get them in the door to the being paid customer. And then there's sort of one for onboarding them and keeping them retained as an existing customer. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's the entire life cycle of that customer and, the bigger the company that we typically work with, the more siloed each portion of that process is. So marketing starts living in their silo, sales starts living in their silo, service starts living in their silo. And so we've all experienced this when we've called in for technical support on some kind of system and they can't access our billing or they can't access something else. There's some kind of administrative barrier that prevents them to. And next thing you know, something that should have been a 10-minute question turns into a day, two days to get a response and proceed forward. But the people are getting very impatient and want fast turnaround time. And a great example and also a horrible example is Amazon. They're customer first all the time. 
And if you call them, they will resolve the problem immediately. But in many cases, it's at the detriment of the, the seller of the product. And so if you miss a step and those customers aren't aware of what they're getting or what to expect, you run the risk of losing that repeat sale. And so it's, it's important to keep, to keep that process as simple as you can. So when you're facing a customer, they don't have to go run the rabbit hole of where do they, how does this get resolved? Yeah, it's so true. I, I mean, I think Amazon's a really interesting experience because um, I've done that multiple times. I actually have a weird story where I started getting stuff shipped in my house to some person's name that didn't exist there. And I tried to call Amazon to say, hey, this got shipped to the wrong place. And they're like, just keep it. I was like, okay, what am I going to do with this random stuff? <laughs> Um, just, just keep the random pair of socks that are for a dog and you don't need yeah, it was a safety vest and, you know, all kinds of weird stuff. So anyway, I, I do, I, I have a, I have a question though for you, Lucas and, and Islin. Um, this came up recently in, in an organization that I was working with. How long does it take to define your customer journey map. Like if you're, if you were building one from like, you know, nothing, how long would you say on average, it should take an organization to like, I'll, I'll take map a, out a quick a stab at journey? it. I'd say I that's mean, a could, fairly loaded question. Like <laughs> okay. for like, say a five to 10 person organization, it could take like, say two weeks, maybe a month. But then if you have, the 10,000 person organization that's going to take a bit longer what what do you think lucas yeah i mean we've done them where they've been done in the course of like 4 hours of man hours getting it done and we've done them where they're 300 man hours and the bureaucracy and like touch points and it's still not complete for sure. How often do you find that you have to revisit it? Like once you do it, do you find that you have to refine it or make edits or what does that look like? I would call it an evergreen process. It's always changing. It's not something that you can just set and forget because your customer's expectations are always evolving. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Is it something that you think is like continually um, being monitored on an active basis or is it, and that I'm asking this for selfish reasons because it's something that, you know, we're going through right now. Is it something that, you know, you revisit quarterly or what do you think that looks like the cadence? So I have one customer that we kind of revisit it annually, just based on his average sales cycle and retention. And then we have a couple customers where we're revisiting it every month and it's a, a function of addressing the, a lot of the top of the funnel components around how are we getting people in on the marketing side, but the sales piece and the service piece are pretty static. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think, so it's interesting as you, as you because Naomi had asked the same question I wanted to ask as well about the the updating. And I think one of the things, it, this reminds me a little bit of lead scoring. I know if we've all probably been through a lead scoring effort somewhere, yeah. And it's it's really interesting to me because people think like it's the only time I've got to fig- like to give you an answer about what do I think is most important and drive lead score or engagement or whatever. And one of the things I've 
I've learned to do over time, and it sounds like it applies here too, would be like this is this is something we're going to do. We're going to kind of put something in place, but know that we're going to try to monitor it on some regular basis, whether that's annually or quarterly or whatever makes sense for that business. And we're going to adjust it as we learn. I think I think that's a really important thing for for all of us, which also you use the word keep things simple. And I think that's something I like I try to do because it's really easy to get caught up in all this cool way we could do this and all the different, you know, 80 million variations of a process that you could do. And like, let's keep it simple and let people make decisions on the front line. So to kind of go down a rabbit hole real quick, I've got a client that is the, has the ooh shiny syndrome and he constantly is wanting to buy new tools and new marketing gizmos to add to his marketing tech stack to drive customers in. And it drives a lot of vanity metrics, things like views and clicks and things like that, that he's getting a lot more exposure, but it's not moving customers. It's not moving dollars sold. And so if you don't understand that customer journey well enough, you start adding a bunch of things. And in some cases, too much information is bad as well. So you end up putting in the, into the state of decision paralysis. It's a kind of an example I was thinking of before we got started is imagine if you're trying to get somewhere and your GPS gets to a point and says, well, you could turn left here or you could turn right in 500 feet. You just kind of you lose this. Where am I going now? Yeah, we, we all want sort of a definitive answer, I think. Like, just give me tell me what to do next or at least give me some <laughs> some rules to follow. Right. So. Let, let's let's take a step back a little bit. I think we've kind of got an idea of like what is a customer journey map. Let's go back to the now for our audience who are generally marketing ops folks who may or may not have been involved in customer journey mapping or may have wanted to be involved. Like, why should we even care? Like, why should we care as marketing ops folks about customer journey mapping and in terms of what we do? Uh, on the marketing side, I mean, it's very fundamental. We deal with it all the time as far as our top of funnel offers, middle funnel of offers, bottom of funnel offers, those are portions of our customer journey. But we want to understand on a holistic view, how do all of those play together to be to the person that's viewing it becoming a paying client? And it, there's a twofold side. You've got the content that your customer is exposed to, but then you have the tech stack and the equipment, the systems you put in on the back end, to maintain. So a good example here is Salesforce. They are the sales leader tool. Like pretty much everybody knows Salesforce. However, to run Salesforce, you need a Salesforce admin and tech people to maintain the system. Where you go to a simpler solution, say ClickFunnels, that's kind of an entry level, cheap level option. It does can do a lot of stuff to bring people in. However, the maintain the man hours to run it become cost prohibitive as you scale. And so you want to try to like right size your systems so you're able to track the information that allows you to move the needle. And if you don't understand what you need to be tracking and how people are coming in and where they're going, it's really hard to build that tech stack that enables you to grow where you're at and get to where you want to be. Hey everyone, it's Mike Rizzo here, and I'm interrupting your episode to bring you a brief message about, you might have guessed it, 
Mopsapalooza 2024, our second annual conference held in the vibrant city of Anaheim, California. We're hosting this hybrid event from the 5th of November through the 8th, and we would love for you to join us in person in Anaheim. But if you can't, please join us via live stream, courtesy of our sponsor, Excelibets. We're excited to offer an opportunity for professionals just like you to connect, learn, and grow among the best in the industry. Our event promises to be a highlight of the year, offering invaluable professional development experiences, live workshops, and of course, networking with your peers. Don't miss out on this incredible gathering right next to Disneyland in Southern California. Tickets are going fast. We will cap registration at 700 attendees. Secure your pass by visiting marketingops.com today. And we're looking forward to welcoming you to what is guaranteed to be an unforgettable event. It might just be the best event you've ever attended. But don't take my word for it. You can ask the community at any time. We'll see you there. So, yeah, that brings up another, I guess, another question for us, which is, yeah, there's there's documenting a customer journey map, which I assume like, you've got some preferred tools or techniques that you use, and it would be interesting to hear what those are. <laughs> but then there's how does that translate into your processes and systems across the different functional areas? So, yeah, I, I guess I'm going to ask sort of two parts here, right? One, and maybe you can both give your perspective about what, yeah, what do you, how do you approach, you know, documenting them? Are there any tools you recommend or things like that or methodologies? And then like, what, what do you see? You, you mentioned Lucas kind of right-sizing the technology. So are there like, do you have, I know you guys do a lot of HubSpot stuff. Is there a way that you approach it from a HubSpot standpoint versus other platforms? Yeah, go ahead and let Islam take a stab at the, the first half of that. Okay. Um, I would say as far as like right, right sizing the system, like you, like I was just recently talking with a CRM provider today on like, yeah, there's some people who, who don't fit HubSpot starter, but they also don't fit HubSpot professional suite either. They're like in between and they're like a service business and so they they were like, this is where our solution fits in, um, which is which is Thrive. Um, but I, I think as far as the customer journey mapping solution, like we like using Lucidchart to completely map out the entire like customer journey. Like we we did one for a nonprofit recently, and it was like a hundred steps, I think, to just get from someone coming in and then filling out a form. And then it was like, it, it, and then they had to notify other people. And it was, it was quite a, a bit of a, obviously a journey to get there, but um, definitely, definitely recommend using Lucidchart. Yeah, I've been, I've been. It's so interesting. Do you, are you, are you building customer journeys based on like channels or are you trying to like with each of your clients? Is it, do you start with a, where do you market first and then start building a journey? Like, are you looking at when you say touches? Okay. When you say touches or clicks or interactions, like a hundred steps to get to somewhere. Are you saying, cool. When someone comes in from PPC, they clicked an ad, they hit this page, they filled out this form, they clicked this button, 
then they did this, 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 and that's just one channel. Or are you building journey maps that are like thinking more kind of broadly than that? Like, where does it kind of it's start? It's a mix usually? of both. So, I we always work from the end and go backwards. So mm. we're always taking and identifying what is the the conversion action we want to take or the goal, and going backwards. And so the one Island speaking of is is specifically the the journey map is over a hundred steps for once someone fills out a specific form through them becoming a customer, fulfilling their order. And this is where like your tech stack becomes important is it addresses how do we notify staff and employees that need to get something done? How do we notify vendors of, we need to have this piece in place. And so it's, it's the process of making sure we have all of those all of the things that need to happen from beginning to end documented and ordered. And then it goes back beyond that in many cases of they, to fill out that form, there might be four different channels that lead to that one form. Got it. And so each one of those channels is going to have different touch points and different processes. And at some point they're going to come together, but it's kind of think of more like a, a fork in the road. We've just got lots of forks that start to spread the closer we get towards the awareness phase of like, I have a problem. That's where it's very, very, very tall as far as like the different options to enter. Right. So as you move further away from the goal up to the top of the funnel, there's a lot more branches that are kind of funneling down in and you're, you're trying to map out all of that through through customer journey. That makes sense. Cool. And I mean, you don't even have to use Lucid. I mean, you could use any type of charting, drawing tool. I mean, sometimes we just start on a whiteboard and here's about a dozen different ideas and lines. And sure, I I recently, yeah, yeah, I'm partial (laughs) to paper too. I recently learned about Wardly mapping too. Have you heard of Wardly mapping? I I I haven't. Yeah, I personally had not heard of it up until just a couple days ago, and it actually came from uh, our episode with Juan that we just did like last week. Uh, he happened to mention it uh, during our call and I went and looked it up. It's fascinating, but it, it takes someone through, it's all focused on the customer. I'm going to do a terrible job of explaining this because I watched it, uh, you know, earlier today and it's a three minute video, but it, it's all about the customer. And then along the bottom line, it's taking this customer's kind of discovery process from like Genesis all the way through to, to kind of like, how are they finding you to how are they going to continue to interact with you like throughout the rest of their uh, interactions? And it's like kind of a, kind of an impressively complex like way to map out a customer journey, but I don't know, it might be something worth looking at, like looking into. It feels like a lucid chart, but. Um. Well, and lucid, I, I like lucid just cause it's, there's no boundaries. Mm-hmm. So I can pretty much put what I need to down. And we've tried a few of those tools in the past that they're really good at addressing 80%, but that last 20%, it's like, I wish it could do this. It's like every other tool in my tech stack. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And so like, I'd say Lucid gets to 90%, but it's not, so it's the closest, but it's not like what I would love to have. Gotcha. Cool. All, All I know is that this is a lot better than trying to share Visio documents across an organization, right? So things like Lucidchart. You know, we did something oh, in my organization where we use Miro, right? These online sort of collaboration 
whiteboard kind of solutions are great. I think it helps a lot for those kinds of things. So not advocating anything in particular, but I think that, that, that space is a pretty interesting one. It's, you know, been a good time for it. Um, I, so I thought of something that just sort of popped into my head as we were talking about this, that um, I think has a, a place in this. And it may be part of why I told you, I kind of roll my eyes a little bit too is, and so another, another kind of thing I hear about are, are personas. Everybody wants to do their personas. We got to document our personas. Then we had like, how, like what? So like, I'd love to hear your perspective, right? How do you differentiate between personas, journey mapping? Do they, are they, are they, are they sort of two sides of the same coin? Are they different things? Are they related? Are they completely different? I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that. And I have a question on personas that I'm going to piggyback off of after you guys respond. All right. I, 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 I hit a chord. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, personas is an interesting beast because sometimes, like, multiple personas can go down one journey as long as they have kind of the same consideration and trust steps. But you end up with certain people, personas that it, it comes down to like doing one to one conversion. So, like, this is one of the reasons we like HubSpot as a platform is we can do dynamic content insertion on landing pages and web pages. So if someone's a certain persona, the messaging changes very subtly to address like their concerns specifically. But the challenge comes in is A-B testing and KPIs and reporting. So you may have five or six personas for your business. And so the website copy changes ever so slightly, but you got to be very careful because, I mean, you have an A-B test and then you have two personas. You now have eight variations of that same page. And so it just it very quickly cascades into something that becomes unmanageable. So typically, I would say you would want to relegate personas towards fixed content items, ads, uh, ebooks webinars, things like that, that's more locked down. My question is, how do you handle personas where somebody can have, I guess, multiple personalities, right? So you have a business where the main guy, the CEO... Well, yeah, always. Um, where the main guy um, is also the person that does the evaluation because maybe they're very technologically savvy, but they're also the person that handles all of the check signing and the decision maker. And they're also, you know, the person that, you know, is talking directly to support or customer success. And most of the time, these, you'll see these types of p- people in smaller businesses, but I'm curious, like, what, how you, handle this or how you come across it. And it's a question that I'm raising because it's something that comes up at EFI, right? So do you default, do you basically send them everything or do you kind of default their messaging to the highest role that they potentially be? That, But there's downfalls to that too, right? So I'm curious what you guys so think. For us, we would ha- say you have Jeff CEO and then you have Bob Owens, the owner of a company. And they're very different personas because the person who runs it or the decision maker, or the check signer in an enterprise or mid-market deal 
has to deal with bureaucracy and a lot. The decision points are very, very different along that consideration phase than a small business owner. Their decision point might be going and talking to their wife or their brother, not necessarily going and talking to a key stakeholder. Mm -hmm. Or um, the owner going to talk to their husband, right? Yeah, it could go either way. Sorry, I, I'm the, I'm the guy, so I think that way. I, I'm, I know, I'm just, I'm just. Oh well, shit! I'm a guy. It could be my husband as well in this day and age. <laughs> Absolutely. So I, I think Naomi, one of the, I think what you're getting at, because I've seen this too, having worked at larger companies. It's, it's, I see two things that I, I see that makes get mixed a little bit. One is mixing personas, like a person and their particular role, and it, like in a. In a an account categorization or a target company, like more of the company level, right? So there's a little bit of a mix there. But I think what you were specifically talking about is somebody at a company on a, at a given point in time or get a given interaction, it may be acting under persona A, like I'm the, the, I'm the, I'm an influencer. And then another point, they may be acting as a decision maker. And maybe it's on the same transaction or the same deal, but it may be on something like two different projects and they have different roles. Is, are you t- kind of talking about that? So how do you address that kind of in real time almost? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if they're on, let's say they're an enterprise company you're going after and project A, this person's the decision maker and project B, they're the stakeholder. You got to be careful because you don't want to overwhelm people with content. And I'd say that's a tricky one to manage and it's really going to have to come down to case by case because it would depend upon what are they trying to buy or what are you, what are their pain points that you're addressing? Maybe small business is a persona in and of itself, right? Where you have those types of like people that can cross multiple roles and they not only hold the decision, but they are the ones that are also the people that you would negotiate contracts with, maybe that's a persona in and of itself, right? And once they kind of move out of that, then then you kind of bucket them. Maybe there's two different types of um, customer journey mapping or nurtures or things like that. I'm just, that could be a possibility. Well, and so mm-hmm. yeah. if you're serving multiple like market tiers, we've, we do break down the customer journeys for a small business market tier versus a mid-market or an enterprise. So... Because the the people, the decision makers in that process is very different, you would end up with multiple different processes they could go through to get to the end. Uh, Small business is always, I'm going to call it a rodeo, because you never know what you're going to get or go. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) I'm a small, we're fairly small, and there's things where I make a decision and pull the trigger in 48 hours of I have this pain point <laughs> and there's other things where it's I'm six months. I know I have this pain point, but I don't have the bandwidth to address it. And so the journeys are very erratic for small business because you're not just dealing with a pain point. You're dealing with budget overhead, like what they can handle, like bandwidth wise where enterprises typically have more buffer to manage taking these things on but your sales cycle for an enterprise is always going to be three months plus yeah i mean unless you have like a very very clear offering to solve their pain point i i've never seen one and and then there's there's also 
like the rapid framework for decision making that you get from project management institute that you that you see being used in like those mid-market enterprise companies too so you need like so you're kind of not going just from personas but you're also seeing like who's who's the recommend recommender who agrees with it who's who's performing and who's just providing input and who is the ultimate decision maker. So you need to like mm-hmm. group all of those people together in a room when you're doing a decision making process for mid market and enterprise. So it's not just a simple one person makes a decision and they go with the software. You you have to there's like multiple people involved. Um Yeah. Without a doubt, I, I I'm wondering like how I mean obviously Naomi, Michael, and I all have questions about this, and we're all marketing ops people, and I'm I'm just like wondering how much of our listeners, listener base, and audience are dealing with. Uh, this is where I wish our show was still live, so we could get the people interacting with this at this very moment. Right? Absolutely. <laughs> But at the, but at the very least, like just tying it back to, you know, like when you're doing customer journey map mapping, um, the two of you, are you, is the end, like the output of this, as you think about it for an ops person, is it to create visibility across the organization Is there any type of output that shows up that like as a marketing ops person, the reason why you'd be sitting in the room during this discovery process is, well, we talked about it earlier. It's a little bit about finding the right tools to pull through the right, you know, the right data and and, and touch the customer with not over, like not overdoing it. Right. Not, Not don't purchase too much tech. Um, but is there, is there something else that, that's kind of the output of the customer journey map that says, you know, um, as a marketing ops person, I need to be aware of all of these things because I now need to service my internal organization when they come to me with a request, you know, I, I need to be able to push back and say, Hey, this doesn't fit our, or is it anything like that? Like, have you encountered yeah. any of that? So we definitely, I mean, when we do this, you get, I mean, it's a pretty considerable like output for the most part. Mm-hmm. And it has, what are the technologies you're using? Where are we handing data over between systems? How are we handing that data over? Which data, which, which systems are the master record for data, certain data types? Who's responsible for what, what happens? So it's, it ultimately becomes a, a, a business process document on top of just a customer journey. But there's some, and I'm not sure if any of you guys are familiar with a company called Circuit City. They yeah. went out of business about a decade or so ago. Oh, yeah. yep. Because they felt they never took care of their customer. And so they had this mentality of they they have to use us. And we're in this day and age where information is so prevalent and available. Our customers don't need us anymore. They don't have to work with us. So you have to lead with what makes sense for the customer. Mm-hmm. And so that's why we start with the customer journey and we make sure that business process systems, technology, messaging, marketing, all of those things are sh- layered and structured in such a way that the customer has an outstanding experience. Right. 
That makes sense. I as this sounds so we have we offer the marketing ops playbook template uh, on the website, right? And we gave about a hundred copies of those away today in a campaign, which was awesome. Um, so it sounds like you're actually doing it like your customer journey mapping exercise is taking everything from the customer's perspective, the touch points, getting down into what technology enables all of these different touch points into the delivery mechanisms. Then you're identifying the master data model and you're actually doing like a data dictionary exercise. And then you're like eventually getting to a place where it's all documented, which sounds like my marketing operations playbook really needs to be overhauled. And I should probably just <laughs> consult with you guys because I'm not clearly I'm not doing enough uh, to provide a, a great you know role model for the for the listeners. But but it sounds like this is a really robust thing, right? Like you're going from from customer down into data dictionary, which is pretty impressive. Well, and so a little bit about me that we kind of didn't hit on. Uh, my background, I started off as an oil and gas at a Fortune 5 company. And the challenge there was process. And the processes were so poor that people were, I wouldn't say embezzling money, but they were spending the company's money for personal things that no one had line of sight to. And no one cared. But it was costing mm. billions of dollars a year. And... I very quickly became aware of databases and structure and information and all of these things. And we have, I mean, I was able to take my job and reduce it to an Excel spreadsheet in a few months because of the consistency in the data set we had. And so as long as we're willing to take the information that we have, we have the ability to learn and adapt and change. And marketing is very rich with data and information around our customers. And so the more we can use that to give them the better experience, the better we're going to perform as a business, the happier our clients are going to be for working with us. And then the happier the customers are going to be working with our clients. Yeah. I, I think the, the point everyone should take away from this, right? It, to do this right. It's not just a, we're going to get in a room for two hours. We're going to do whatever. We're going to do a Vizio. We're going to do Lucid Chart. And then we're just done, right? <laughs> See you next year. Right? There's yeah. a lot more that goes into it to, to actually get the most out of it. And what's interesting to me is this: um, we had a little bit of this conversation. I think we touched on it with uh, our last guest one where we talked about um, customer experience, which is I think overlaps with this a little bit too, and the idea that really buyers are way more in control than most organizations like to believe that they are. Right? I mean, I literally talked to a vendor today, to, yesterday and I was like, and it's somebody I know and I've worked with. And I, and I was like, you know, if I'm interested in your stuff, you know, I can just go to this community. And <laughs> I can just go ask what other people are paying and I can find out. Right. So, you know, you know, don't, don't like, it's just like, go ahead. Like, I'm not going to like, and this is a person who I like would trust anyway, but it's just, you know, I think, the point being, right, if you think you're in control, you're not putting pricing on your site, you're not like all these things, like people get around it nowadays. They know how to do it. They know how to get access to it. Communities are a part of it. Yeah, I'd say you can't hide anymore. And I mean, we've all experienced it where we get the, I'm going to say the arrogant salesman who thinks they control the cards and it just pisses us off. It's like, I know I have all this information. A little anecdotal story. Beginning of the year, I bought a new car. 
I knew exactly what I wanted. I knew the model with no like questions. Pre-did the loan app, everything with the dealer. I show up. It still took me seven hours to leave the dealership with my new car. Oh, heck no. I I, I, <laughs> I would have walked my ass out of there. There's cursing on this episode. We need to put a disclaimer. Sorry. <laughs> that, yeah, no, oh, no like, effing way. Not going to happen. I, I mean, I think, I think 20 years ago, I walked out. Like, Good I, on you for sticking that out, though, man. Before seriously. I did the internet, you know, I, I had arranged everything over the phone. And I, I, I at that point, I was in a walking cast. My wife dropped me off. She was going to do something else. Thought we had a deal done, and I was like, I had to call my wife. I was like, "Come back, pick me up." They're changing things. I'm like, "No, not going to do it." That's just well. And for us, the BS was ten more minutes. Ten more minutes till seven hours later. And it's one of those where you're like, you're like, okay, (laughs) you've already got my trade in, so I can't just leave. Right. Right. So you're kind of like hamstrung, and it's just uh, like that's not right. So moral for for all of our software users out there, the moral of the story is: don't let them know that you've already like forfeited your subscription to your marketing automation platform <laughs> <laughs> when you're buying your next one. Right? Oh, my subscription just ended two days ago. Oh, so you need one right now? Well, <laughs> well, and all right, I don't want to take a, a, a name stab, but there's a few marketing or sales enabling marketing enabling platforms out there that they do still take that approach. They give you the intro version for free or low cost. And if you want to get your information out of it, it costs you an arm and a leg. Oh my God, that would be horrible. And so, I mean, that's even part of the tech stack selection is making sure you pick something that if you know you're going to outgrow, you understand what does it I take mean, to get out of it. Another interesting thing is totally. that like, don't, in don't a lot of the stories, stories right? I've, I've taken, <laughs> it's like you're, they, they tell you to always control the conversation. Right. But like nowadays, buyers and everyone have so much data in their hands and everything already from like G2, from Amazon, from Google reviews. Right. They already they already know what they're getting. By the time they're on a call with you, they're like, I just want to see if you're a good human. Do I want to buy from you? Like. (laughs) Yeah. I just want to know if I like you. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, that's why we do the, the no bullshit demos on the, the website, the mopros.com. We, we talk to these providers to really just cut through the noise. Cause nobody likes talking to sales. Like we, we want to answer the questions that we care about and we just want to get to the bottom of it. And then I want to make a decision on if I really want to go, you know, take the next step. I was on with uh, someone earlier today who's looking to, to kind of uh, do a little bit more in the North American market. And my first piece of advice, they, you know, they were like, you've got this audience of marketing operations professionals. Um, you know, what do you, what do you think? And I was like, well, I'm looking at your site and I will tell you that you need to put pricing on it. Like nobody in this role, if this is a persona you want to sell to, like I would venture to say that almost no one is okay with pricing, not being on the page. Like you need to have pricing on the page. And it's crazy to me. So just to just to kind of like echo the the idea of like information is needed, it's necessary, it's it's normally out there. And when you hold it back or you try to control too much of the conversation, right, Islin, it just turns into a bad experience. And then the idea, like your customer journey, <laughs> is totally broken, right? Like they're not going to want to convert. No doubt, no doubt. So let let me bring us back. Let's get out. Let's get out of bashing vendors now and salespeople for a little bit. And let's. Uh, uh, oh, that's get, half the fun. I know it's kind of fun sometimes. 
Um, <laughs> but let, so one of the things we touched on, and I want to make sure we, we address this before we, because Naomi, I think, asked the question about like how often do you review? I think a related question I have for folks. So clearly, right, there's a lot of investment and time, effort, you know, blood, sweat, tears to, if you do it right, right, to get this customer journey mapping figured out, get it into your systems. Once you have that, if you have any chance of monitoring it, you need to know what you're measuring, what metrics should you be watching, how do you how do you review it? Do you have any suggestions on how you approach the measurement, any key metrics you you like to use when you're evaluating? Did the did we get the mapping right? Yeah. So I mean, dashboards. I mean, business. We'll say business intelligence or business analytics, like buzzword from 10, 15 years ago that was everywhere, it still holds true. You've got to understand which metrics are actually moving your business along. So if that's sales or new customers or MRR or whatever those numbers are that move your business forward and allow you to do what you want to do, those are the numbers you need to be tracking on your dashboards. And then you want to track the numbers that lead to that conversion. So if you've got a direct correlation that for every thousand clicks I get, I'm going to get one subscriber. And for every one subscriber, every hundred subscribers, I'm going to get one customer. Then those clicks matter. But if you're just looking at views on an ad, oh, hey, it showed up a hundred thousand times this month. That's such a dynamically changing number that it may not mean anything to if you're being successful because it's in front of the right people. And so it's a good number to have on your dashboard because you could look at that conversion rate and say, okay, this is lower than I expected. And so that's where like scientific method here, and I I hate to be nerdy, but what is your hypothesis? How are you going to test against it? And what things need to happen for you to reevaluate or consider success? We celebrate nerdiness here. I was going to say, this is is a nerd safe place. Yeah. Like nerdiness accepted. I spoke to somebody okay, who I... said that she she teaches people what the like what a p value is because she's like a PhD like cancer researcher like this. I was like, I, I'm gonna just stay on the phone with you for the next hour. <laughs> nerdiness accepted. <laughs> so I could give my like really bad joke of uh, why or e to the x the integral walks up to e to the x at the party and says, why don't you integrate yourself? Ah, oh sh- goodness. Why? Nothing will change. <laughs> Sorry. Like, where, where, where's the, I like where, my nerdy the, jokes. Where's the sound effect? Come on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we have the media. Let's do that next time. Uh, yeah. No, I mean, so it's all about, like, having a process. And so if you know what's going to move the needle, I mean, we'll go down a little bit of a rabbit hole. How do you determine how much you should spend on a CPC ad? But it, it, do you just pick a number that feels good? Whatever, whatever we spent last time, probably. My, my, my thing is whatever the like lower number than what Google tells me I should be spending. <laughs> so I go a step further. I look at how much money did my client make that month for revenue? Okay. How many views, how many clicks? And I'm doing math all the way back up to determine, okay, here's my maximum CPC value. If I'm spending more than $2 and 50 cents a click. He's losing money with his conversion rate. Now, if I can go anywhere under that and I'm safe, but that's my threshold is 
what can I still make a profit margin under? Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Backing into numbers is a good idea for sure. And so it's the same thing with building your dashboards. What numbers are moving your business? And I mean, I, for me, it's sales calls. The more sales calls I can get on, the better I'm doing. But I want to make sure I have a good close rate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I think of I think of what you describe. I think of like all the micro conversions along that journey, right? And so if you could start to impact all of them positively, right, you get a multiplier effect. Wow. Okay. So we went we went deep and wide on this one. This has been a really uh, a fun conversation, and we even got some cursing from Mike Rizzo. So thank you, Mike. Appreciate that. Bringing the adult language with us. We got some cursing from you too, no, Michael. Oh, me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, you, I think you alluded to a curse word. It's okay. Don't tell anyone. My kids, are, my kids <laughs> might listen to this. I doubt it. Um, well, guys, Lucas Islin, thank you for joining us today. We appreciate it. If, if folks want to you know, connect with you or learn more about what y'all are doing, where's the best place for them to do that? So on our website, which is uh, www.theamarketing.com. How do you how do you spell Thea? Uh, T-H-E-R-A. Got it. All right. Theamarketing.com. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much. And uh, Mike, Naomi, thank you, as always, keeping us us honest here. Uh, Thanks to our listeners for joining us. As always, we ask you to uh, subscribe, rate, review, give us your feedback, send us ideas for topics and guests, or if you want to be a guest. Great. Everyone, thanks for this, and we're going to call it a wrap. Bye, everyone. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Bye.